0: Welcome to Eat This Scroll, a university fellowship podcast. We get together and talk about what we've been chewing on in God's word. We have Sean Duncan with us. Today. Hey, yo. And you are the pastor of youth and college. Youth and
1: college. Yep. Awesome. High school, middle school, and college. Unbelievable. What yep. don't you do? There, you know, I can't juggle very well. Um, What's your squat? My squat? Yeah. My PR squat was a 365, 315 for sets of 10 um bench press 300 deadlift 465 not like super impressive numbers (laughs) but like it's like oh you must you must actually exercise and like try to get better at these things i'm happy to say you could squat me without a a much difficulty chris i am happy that you said that too (laughs) (laughs) all right what have you been chewing on in god's word uh well the thing that just floats around in my mind nonstop, literally (laughs) Um, not actually literally nonstop, but always in the mornings and the nights it's in my head is the Sermon on the Mount and, um, especially the Beatitudes, the way Jesus introduces his sermon, um, rather than starting to speak to his disciples with things they should do. Instead, he starts with, um, how they are blessed because of their proximity to him because they have come to him. He starts off by saying, you are so blessed you are lavished in love. You are cared for. This is who you are. I mean, everything he starts off with is identity things. He starts to around them out by, by telling them, um, eight, eight to nine times over how blessed they are. Then he says to them that they're the salt of the earth. Then he says to them that they're the light of the world. Like all of that before he even starts talking about, uh, what they should do in their life. It, you, it actually takes you, um, an entire chapter before you start hearing, okay, Jesus, so what should I do? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's, there's something even in that about right. you know, like learning about who you are and about what is true about God and his word before he even begins to start to tell you, here's how you should live because of that.
0: Yeah, it seems like almost human nature at its
1: base starts with the do rather than Oh, the do. absolutely. We would, we would love, uh, if we preached the Sermon on the Mount in our sinful condition, we would flip it. Yeah. And we would start with the end and say, you better not be an idiot. And you better listen to these words and you better do them, which is kind of Jesus' last words. (laughs) um, And and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock Mm. and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beyond that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We just invert it. Yeah. We would love to just start there and be like, a wise person is going to listen to what I say, but every single person who's a fool will ignore this. And then we're going to do the do's And then, and then why you should do the do. And then at the end of the day, we'll be like, Oh yeah, you're so blessed if you do these things. But Jesus starts with blessing <laughs> and he, he ends with why the, all those things matter. So there's a lesson there. But that's not why we're talking. I wanted to share with you, um, the, the fourth beatitude, fourth beatitude, the, uh, Third beatitude. the Third. Third beatitude, which is, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. All right. Yeah. And, and because there's eight, like whenever... People preach on these or study them. Either they do it week by week, which then is just tedious. Mm-hmm. You know, that's eight, oh, an eight week series on Beatitudes, or they do it all in one. So some of them get swept under the rug a little bit. And I, I at least think that this is the one that gets swept under the rug because, first of all, what does meek mean? Like we right. don't speak old English. That's a weird word. When I hear it, I think of just like weakness, like it is a synonym for weak. Like, yeah. Like, how's your coffee? Oh, it's pretty meek. Like, are you saying it's not very strong or potent or something? Like, I don't know. I don't think anyone uses that word in their everyday vernacular. And if they do, I would love to hear it. Like, that that would be an experience in and of itself. So, I just want to break down that beatitude and talk about what i think it might mean for us let's go okay so first blessed are the meek so he's saying something that's true about uh, this group of people who are his disciples and he, he uses this word meek and it, and it only shows up uh four or five times in the entire new testament this greek word um, but it's used all the time in other greek literature so we can have a really good sense of what it means and here's the really uh like scholarly definition of the word that's used here for meek it's to not it's to not be overly impressed by a sense of one's self importance. Hmm. I'll read it again. To not be overly impressed by a sense of one's self importance.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of a single time I've, I've ever heard it defined that way.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's coming out of um, BDAG, Brown Drivers, and something. Brown drivers, Briggs and something. It's like a super nerdy Greek lexicon. So the here's just like, they give definitions of Greek Greek words. But yeah, I'll read it one more time to not be overly impressed by a sense of one's self importance. Mm. So one thing that we can eliminate right away is that the word meek doesn't, it's not a synonym for weak.
0: Sure. Right. It's not
1: a synonym for weak. Uh, In fact, you, you hear this word a few other times. It gets just translated differently So it gets translated as meek once, Matthew 5, verse 5. It gets translated as humble in Matthew 21, verse 5, when Jesus is is quoting from the Old Testament. It reads, Say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." So it's the word humble there in that context, and to ride in on a donkey is usually a sign of peace rather than on a war horse. Um, so when you approach someone as a king, if you approach uh, another kingdom or another city on a donkey, you're showing them that you're not trying to fight them. Right? You are either you're it's a sign of peace, or you're someone bringing peace. So that's how it's being used in that context. And then the this word shows up two other times in the New Testament. Uh, and it's translated as gentle in those contexts. Mm. So 1 Peter 3, verse 4, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And then a very famous verse, Matthew 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Mm. So the same thing that Jesus looks out on his crowd and he says, blessed are the meek or blessed are the gentle. That's something that's true about him too. So he's actually seeing a characteristic in his people or, or he's, he's presenting that his people will share the characteristics that he possesses. Um, but what meek doesn't mean is weak and it doesn't mean being a pushover. Um, but it, what it does have this sense of is not demanding your own way and not making things happen by brute force. So when we think of the term gentle, um, you know, that, that's a, a word that has its own cultural meanings of what it means to be gentle. I think usually we just mean really, really soft. But Jesus says that he's gentle. He's meek. So he wasn't just meek and gentle sometimes. He was always meek and gentle He is an unchanging God. He doesn't have that characteristic sometimes, but not all the time. Sure. So let's think of some stories that we need to fit into our definition of gentle. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Jesus flips tables in the temple. Right. Somehow that's Jesus being gentle. Yeah. Jesus makes a cord uh, of whips and drives people out of the temple. We have to fit that into gentleness. Mm Mm-hmm. He pronounces woes um, upon the Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites, and he calls them whitewashed tombs, and he 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 calls the people dogs. Sometimes, like somehow, that has to fit into what it means that Jesus is is meek and gentle, right? Jesus, though, doesn't force himself on people. He doesn't use brute force to convince others. He doesn't insist on his own ways, although he does call people to repent. I mean, think about the way he interacts with the woman at the well. She, bold lies to him about how many husbands she has. Yeah, he, you know, he says, go, go bring your husband. She's like, I'm not married. And, and Jesus doesn't say, ha, gotcha. He <laughs> yeah. said, he, what he says is, you're right. You've had five and the person you're living with now isn't your husband, so yeah, in, in a sense, he, he says, hey, you're speaking the truth to me. You're not actually married, um, but that's not everything that's true. And he kind of unearths things there. So Jesus never dodges sin. Uh, he always speaks truly to um, what is righteousness and what is unrighteousness. He He does not condone or allow sin to happen. He is always aiming towards the flourishing of humans. Um, but he never uh, insists on his own way or his own merit by brute force. And that that's a, the sign of his, his meekness, even though he could. right? You know, when he's, he's interacting with Satan in the wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, Satan's like, hey, you could like call a myriad of angels. And Jesus is like, I know I could. I could call an entire army and I could be done with you in an instant. Right. But he doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. he doesn't insist on his own way with brute force i think that's a sign of meekness of, of even though you could make something happen choosing not to and choosing a different way for it to come about so that's like the the meekness side of things jesus is looking at people who who might be able to make some things happen in the world if they they knuckled down and tried to but he's he's recognizing in them that they're choosing not to uh, and, and instead to walk in, in righteousness and does not force their way on others. Um, and he says to them that they're blessed because they're going to inherit the earth. So inherit the earth. Like that's a whole nother like can of worms. What's going on there? Why is he right. saying you're going to inherit the earth? Like the entire globe. That's not a new idea in the Bible. That starts all the way back in Genesis chapter one, where God creates a beautiful ordered world. And he makes humans as his divine representatives, as the image of God. And he tells them to have dominion over all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, dominion is a, a, is a verb a, a, in translated. I think in the NIV as rule, mm. um, runners run, painters paint, Kings rule.
0: Mm.
1: So since page one, God has intended to, to rule over his creation through a human King. Uh, That's page one storyline. And and he also told humans to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Right. So there's this idea that, that humans would have dominion over the earth. Now we know how the story goes. humans reject God as, as being the one who defines good and evil. This leads to exile from God's place in the garden and from God's personal presence. This, this, um, inevitably ends up at the Tower of Babel where, where God scatters the nations and confuses their languages. But out of Babylon, out of Babel, he calls this guy named Abram and he makes a promise to Abram. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land. And this is what we call the promised lands, mm-hmm. what the book of Joshua is about them taking the promised land. But in the book of Genesis, there's a promise made to Abram that he he is going to inherit a land, the land of Canaan. And in chapter uh, 15, or maybe it's uh, 17, I I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a description of the land. And it's not just the land of Canaan that's described. It's the land from the Euphrates River down to the sojournings of Egypt, which is a lot bigger land. and it's a little bigger. A little bigger. And in the ancient Near East at the time of the Bible, like that's the known world at the time. Like that's where civilization is. So there's this extension beyond the borders of Canaan. And I think Paul picks up on this. And it's either Romans chapter four or chapter five, where where he's reflecting on the promise given to Abraham. And he says that Abraham was promised to inherit the entire world. Mm. So this blessing that jesus is giving in matthew chapter 5 blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth this isn't like a new thing it's not a new agenda he is picking up the abrahamic blessing that the people of god the the people who are blessed by god to be a blessing to others that they are going to be the ones who inherit the entire earth and it's not just this earth now but the new creation the new heavens and the new earth and um just in case we we only read Matthew 5, Matthew actually wants us to be aware of this because the way you're introduced to Jesus in the book of Matthew is, um, it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Mm -hmm. It links you to two really important people, two really important people that God made promises to. And the promise made to Abraham was for blessing, was for a nation and family, and was for land, which Paul reads as a promise to inherit the created world. And that is going to be finally fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth. And in the book of Revelation, the very last page, it says, it's talking about God's people being in the presence of God, seeing him face to face. And it says, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Wow. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. So is this just about this kingdom, this land, or is there a very practical piece about our interactions with people? especially as it pertains to maybe evangelizing or, or efforts of um, having those engagements with relatives or friends and family where there is a sense of like, are you being humble to mm. accomplish this? Or... Oh, I see.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it definitely plays into how we interact with everyone. And this is, this is an embodied characteristic of Jesus, to be humble, to not demand your own way and to not um, think too highly of yourself then you ought to, to not be um, self-centered. Um, and I think that plays in for how we interact with everybody. I think the, the biblical vision of being able to look at, at pastors or Christians and say, wow, that person's really meek or that person's really gentle isn't necessarily with, like, with the softness of their voice or, or with how they really gently touch you. Although people should be gentle in how they speak and they should be sure. gentle in how like they they physically like, touch like the shoulder of someone else but i think the gentleness comes from wow rarely do i see them slam the hammer and say it's my way or the highway
0: mm.
1: they're really willing to talk and to to hear me out even if we don't do what i'm proposing um they they're patient with me uh, those are the elements of of gentleness, and that should happen in the church, but it should also happen with Christians and those outside of the church. Uh, I think if you're in the workforce, I mean, people that you work with, they should think of you as being um, patient, as not insisting on their own way, and even devising plans to make it happen. That that might be um, what some would say, like like slimy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that should be an embodied reality for all Christians to, to some degree or another. And I think that that will begin to um, manifest itself in people's life. The longer they walk with Christ, it's really hard to walk with someone who's gentle and not beca- begin to become gentle yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that proximity illuminates the, the high contrast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with any other character trait. Like if you, if you hang out with someone who's really funny, you're eventually going to, start trying to like crack jokes too. It's just you, you want to become what the people around you are most of the time. Uh, A really good quote is that if you want to know who you're going to be, look at the five people you spend the most time with. Right. And then, you know, it's like the one of those things of, are you hanging out with the right people? You don't want to be hanging out with losers because you're going to become a loser. And it's like, okay, guys, calm down. Yeah. I don't need the <laughs> the football locker room talk. But on one hand, it is kind of a reality that that those we spend a lot of time with, we begin to embody their their traits. I remember in high school, actually not high school, I was going into college. It was the summer going into college. And um, I don't know if this was legal or anything, <laughs> but on the interweb i ended up watching all 10 seasons of smallville which is a show about clark kent aka superman when he's a teenager and then like when he graduates high school before he becomes the man in red and blue the caped uh hero that we know by superman so (laughs) it's it's it is such a good show but i remember watching all 10 seasons i was binge watching this and i remember recognizing some of the Clark Kent characteristic traits I've started to embody. I mean, one of the things that like, he's all about being honest and truthful and never lying. And I remember like actually feeling more guilt around deceit in my own life mm. or the things that would upset Clark Kent in the show began to actually upset me because I was spending so much time with Smallville's Clark Kent. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I was watching too much TV. <laughs> Chris, no one was speaking into my life then like they should have. But the same thing with Christ. If you begin to spend time every morning with Christ, I'm sure in 30 years, you're going to be a really gentle person compared to what you're like right now. Right. Yeah. And if anyone knows Chris more. Yeah. Just rough. They're praying that you would do that. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> yeah. <there>. <laughs>
0: gentle <laughs> giant is everywhere praying for me. Yeah. Gentle giant. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. That was hopeful and instructive, and uh, I always appreciate your insights. Yeah, man. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you, to our guests, for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's Word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week, so please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples.